Good morning, everybody. It is so good to be with you uh, this morning on such a beautiful day. If I had one minute to give this sermon, this is what I'd like you to take home with you today. You just heard some verses from 1 Peter, and among them this one, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. I'd like you to take that home. Why are we holy? Why should we be holy? Because God is holy. Okay. Peter's quoting a verse from Leviticus, of all places. His commandment to be holy is tied directly to who he is. Okay. And you'll notice in 1 John 4.21, and this is the commandment that we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. So God is commanding us to love one another, to love our brothers and sisters, because that's who God is. He said in verse 8 and in verse 16 that God is love, and we love because he first loved us. That's the one thing I want you to remember a year from now or two, is that God's major commands are tied directly to who he is as a person. They're not arbitrary, they're not just random or made up, they're tied directly to who God uh, is, a per who, who, who he is as a person. I want to thank a brother of ours, uh, Joel Stephen Williams, who shared this uh, with me uh, several years ago. And it, it seems so obvious, but he was wrestling with some ethical issues for which the Bible doesn't give a direct command. And he estimated that the number of direct commands we have in the Bible would be a certain relatively small percentage. And none of them addressed the issue that he was wrestling with. But then he, he was struck by the fact that once we get in tune with who God is, and that all of the narratives, all of the stories, all of the books of the Bible have something to teach us about who he is and how people behave in different situations, then it, it, it opens up a whole wide door as to how we can start applying the Bible to all kinds of situations in our lives. So loving God, of course, uh, is shown, as John said, through obeying what he's telling us to do. That's how we reflect our love to God. You know, and the incredible love that he has for us, hopefully we're, nobody's in doubt about that, right? Uh, I mean, he's pretty well gone uh, this incredible distance to send Jesus to die for us and, and to be raised for our justification. And so our response to him, our response to his commands, we show our love for him uh, by doing what he asks us to do. And we heard that his commands aren't, aren't burdensome. I don't really have a traveling sermon. I, I, I preach different things in different places, but this is one sermon that I think is so important that I, I've given it in different places across, uh, in different places in Canada. Uh, I was in Iceland a couple of years ago with Margaret. Uh, I shared it there. I, I taught on this in Mexico when we were down there uh, on a mission trip. And I wanna, I wanna leave this with you today because I think it's so foundational um, in life as a Christian to get this. Now, 
why is this so important today? Why is this a problem today that we don't like commands? Now, I spent many happy days of my life as a young boy on a couple of farms just about a few miles east of here, south of Homewood, where two of my uncles who were brothers, the Johnston brothers, married two of my dad's sisters. So they had this kind of unique relationship. And uh, my aunt ended up teaching at the collegiate many years. Anyway, we had some many, many happy days on the farms. And one of the things I remember are the, the mile roads in the country are covered with gravel, right? And when you see somebody traveling down the road at 110 kilometers an hour on a dry summer day, you know what that looks like, right? You see this streak of a car and then there's this massive cloud of dust behind the car. And what I noticed was that a lot of people who drive like that they wouldn't stop at the stop signs. Well, why not? Why would you stop? You can see five miles in every direction and there's nobody coming, right? So you just go right through the stop sign. And so people, what is that telling me? Well, just people don't like to be told what to do, right? And in Winnipeg, I know how many, you got one traffic light here at least. I don't know how many you have, but in Winnipeg, we've got lots of them. And people don't like stopping at red lights. So they just tend to run them, you know, after they've turned red. So you need to keep your eyes open. Another example would be cell phones, okay? We have laws that say don't text and drive, right? But people can't resist. And so now we have, we have more people dying from texting and using their phones than from uh, driving inebriated from alcohol. So what's the fundamental uh, point behind that? Why should we follow these laws of not talking on our phone? Well, I'd like to suggest that part of that is being considerate for the other person, okay? Part of that is in fulfillment of the laws of God, to love our neighbor as ourselves. And how can I be loving my neighbor if I'm putting their life in danger, right? So you see, even these simple things in life, I think, come back to... Uh, to the fundamental character of God, who he is, and why he wants us to love him and love our neighbors and love one another. Closer to home in the church, uh, there was an article published in Restoration Quarterly uh, quite a few years ago, just drumming down this idea of interpreting the Bible based on commands, uh, example, and direct uh, inference, right? And this was just portrayed as being really old-fashioned, you know, that we should obey God's commands. I mean, that's such, an, that's such a, a thing of the past. You know, that was then and this is now, uh, and we know better. God's a nice guy, and we'll just, uh, you know, we'll, we just won't get hung up on commands. And that's not unique to the church today, right? I mean, if you look at the Bible, you can think of people who weren't really that fond of God's command, right? I mean, think of Adam and Eve. They had this huge range of things they could do, except for one. So God said, you can do all this, but don't do that. So what did they do? Uh, they ignored his commandment. You know, Moses, the pillar of the Jewish faith, the great covenant maker, he just resisted 
over and over God's commands to go to the prom, to go to Egypt and bring God's people out. Uh, and then when he was told uh, the second time to to speak to a rock to give the people water, what did he do? He struck it. Right? He just he just couldn't just do what God asked him to do. Uh, think about uh, Saul. You know, he was told to uh, d- utterly destroy the Amalekites, and what did he do? Well, he left Agag and the best of the flock for sacrifices. David, how about David? He ignores the sixth, seventh, and the tenth of God's great ten words, right? Um, how about Solomon? You know, 700 wives, 300 concubines, uh, stay faithful to God. And what did he do? He ended up following uh, the faith of, of all, all of his wives. In Mark 7 and 9, Jesus said of the Pharisees, you are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. So what happens if we set aside the commandments of God? I think we've got an issue because we're basically creating God in our own image. We're saying, you're not really serious, God. Um, We know better than that. God ties our relationship to him through his commandments. Uh, the Apostle John is particularly concerned about this in a couple of chapters before our reading in chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, he said this, By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. So knowing God is tied directly uh, to keeping uh, his commandments. People who claim to know God but don't follow his commandments, I mean, they're saying one thing, doing another, it's just, uh, it just doesn't work. Uh, there's a principle in psychology called cognitive dissonance. You know, if, if, the, if what you believe, on one hand, and how you live are fairly closely aligned, okay, you're probably fairly healthy psychologically. But if what you believe and how you behave are very different, uh, you probably have some disturbing things uh, going on inside. Now on the plus side, God has given us many beautiful scriptures to help us understand uh, the connection uh, between who he is and what he tells us to do. And we've just read uh, this beautiful passage in 1 John 4. He says in verse 6, we are from God. He who knows God listens to us. Okay, listening is foundational in in this process of relating to God, right? I mean, if we're not listening to him, if we're not listening to his commandments, how are we going to know what to do? Have you ever wondered if God made a mistake? Like they say we live in such a visual culture, right? Well, that's true, but on the other hand, God is very concerned about our hearing. And I mean, he made us. We just heard that in Psalm 139, right? So if, if he says hearing and listening is important, um, I think it is. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Have you ever seen a course on listening? I've never heard of a course on listening. 
you can get courses on public speaking, on counseling, on all kinds of things where you have to put out, you can take a course in acting or music and all of that where you're putting out things, but there aren't many courses on listening. Some counseling courses will have sections on reflective listening, but not many. You know, there's more, we, 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 uh, we emphasize, you know, talking, being a good speaker and all that, but how about being a good listener? Um, if you're interested sometime, I've got a couple of articles on my website. One is how not to listen to a sermon. Okay. The second one is how to listen to a sermon. You might enjoy those. But listening is a process, okay? And obeying is a process. So what's the first thing you're going to do if you want to obey God's commands? You're going to listen, okay? You're going to hear them, okay? Then once you know what he's saying, you can do it. And once you've done it, he can affirm for you that you're pleasing in his sight. What did Jesus say as a model? I always do what is pleasing in his sight. Okay. Uh, I'm going to share this just because I think it's so beautiful. And it's, it's a simple thing in the Hebrew language. Do you all know what the Shema is, Deuteronomy 6? Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Okay. They call it the Shema because hearing, that's the first word, is to hear. The word for obey in Hebrew, the phrase is Shema Bokoli, which means listen to my voice. And some will translate it, they didn't, they didn't obey me. But what, what he's actually saying is, they didn't listen to my voice. They didn't get it. They weren't listening. And to me, when you go back to the garden, what does God really want? What did he really want uh, from Adam and Eve? Just listen. Just listen to me and just do what I'm saying, right? So that, I think that's a beautiful thing about, um, about this process of listening, that it is important uh, and it does work. And Jesus said this in John uh, 7, 17, If anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God, or whether I speak from myself. So there's that connection with doing. You know, if you want to know if his teaching is true, do it, and you'll find out. And I think that works. Proverbs 15.1, you try this at your workplace. Um, a gentle answer does what? It turns away wrath. But a harsh word turns up strife, okay? You see two people in a disagreement, and if you just jump in there and start screaming and yelling, what's gonna happen? It's just going to go louder and louder. But if you come in uh, with a soft, gentle, wise word, you can calm things down. It works, is the point. He says, let us love one another. So why should we do that? Because it's a good way to live? Because it's, it, it's better than hating? Uh, you sleep better at night? The fundamental reason, John is saying, is that because that's who God is. We're loving uh, because God is holy and pure love. That's the core uh, of who God is. His love is selfless. Uh, his love is looking out uh, for the best of others. He tells us in this beautiful passage about the ultimate act of love in verse 9. By this the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the, the, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. No one has seen God at any time. Uh, if we love one another, God 
abides in us and his love is perfected in us. The ultimate act of love is what Jesus did. As he said in John 15, 13, greater love has no man than this than one laid down his life uh, for his brother. And as we saw in Peter, the, the power of the resurrection is what helps us uh, do this. So just to summarize here, John's connection of God's character and commands, uh, it's based on who he is. He commands us to do essentially what he is. He commands us to make, he wants to make us like him. And this is part of the process of our spiritual transformation is that we become like him as we do the things that he wants us to do. Uh, Peter gives us another example in, in the reading that we heard. Uh, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts, which were yours in ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, for it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. He contrasts the holiness of God with the former lusts uh, that we lived in, uh, the futility of our former uh, ways of life. Now, we were having in this chat on the way here. Why does God want us to be holy? To make our lives miserable? Everyone else is having so much fun. It doesn't, you know, it's so restrictive and limited. Well, because that's who God is. And if we're going to spend eternity with him, you know, we want to be ready for that. We want to be like him in that. And I, you know, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, and I had a pretty crazy youth, and I kind of know what that's like. Like, holiness was not appealing to me. You know, when I heard a gospel song on the radio, I'd turn it off. I'd switch to something else. So it took me a long time to get that. And now I get it. Uh, the fruit of the spirit that Dennis read, you know, all of the, the, the love and the joy and the peace and all of those things are incredibly uh, rich and rewarding. And as David said, no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly, okay? We're, we don't miss out on anything. In fact, with God, we gain everything. You know, we gain our families, we gain peace, we gain eternal life. Uh, he provides for us. He cares for us. We're not, uh, we don't lose out. Uh, and interestingly, you'll notice um, that Peter quotes from a book we never preach from. I know that because I take notes. And uh, I don't know if I ever heard a sermon from Leviticus. I, w I was uh, encouraging Dave Knutson to give one sometime because we got a bit of a deficit there. But here he's taking a principle out of that book and applying it today. Where, do, where does the commandment to love your neighbor as yourself come from? Leviticus, of all places, okay? So you see how the, uh, once we get on to God's commands being tied directly to his character, it kind of opens up a whole uh, new appreciation uh, for his word from both the Old uh, and the New Testament. Now, coming here to the present, I, I, I think most of you hopefully have a little uh, handout here. <laughs> that I had, uh, Corey was helping and, and his daughter uh, as we came in. I just wanted to give you some examples of, of how beautiful this is and how it just permeates so much of, uh, of God's word and what he's saying. For, and the first two, of course, we've already talked about because they're so foundational, but God is love. So our response to that is to love others. I am holy, so be holy. God is kind. So Paul says in Ephesians 4.32, be kind. God is forgiving. In the same verse, Paul says uh, to forgive. God is just, so do justice, as Malachi says. What, what's one of the things that God loves, if we can do, 
uh, is to walk humbly with our God, to do justice and to love mercy, okay? God is faithful, uh, so be faithful until death. Um, you know, adultery is not illegal in this country, um, surprisingly. I mean, it's, it causes so much pain. But what, what's the fundamental underlying principle against what we say is a negative command, okay? Don't commit adultery. Well, the fundamental underlying thing is that God is faithful. God is faithful, and he wants us to be uh, faithful. God is merciful, so be merciful. God is good, uh, do good. God works, so we work. That was the big problem for the Thessalonians. They just wanted to sit around and wait for Jesus to come back. He says, get busy, uh, work. Jesus said, I am gentle. Paul says in Titus, be gentle. Jesus said, I'm humble in heart. And throughout the Bible, uh, we have these countless commandments to humble ourselves. You know, God will do a lot for us. He'll transform us. He even gives us self-control. Isn't that incredible? <laughs> a fruit of the Spirit that we heard is self-control. Uh, but hum humbling ourselves is one thing uh, we need to do. And did not Jesus do that to the point of death on a cross? Uh, God is peace, that beautiful saying from Judges 6.24, Yahweh Shalom, so be peaceable. He's patient, be patient. God is joyful, rejoice. God is one, be united. He's perfect and be perfect. And it goes on. God is light, walk in the light. He's a righteous judge, judge with righteous judgment. He can be angry. What does Paul say? Be angry and don't sin. God is a consuming fire. Uh, kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you. Uh, he is true, so speak the truth and walk in the truth. God is life, choose life. It goes on and on. Do you get the point? <laughs> you know, just that connection. If you can just take that home with you and, 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 and just enjoy that and, and, and make it uh, inform your life, I think I would have uh, done something worthwhile. I, I'm always pleased when this happens, when a year or two goes by and someone says, you know, I heard this or that, and I really... But I don't know who said it, and that happened to me one time, about a year or two after I'd given this uh, to somebody. I said, yeah, I got that little thing on my fridge, but I can't remember where it came from. So that's the kind of thing I like to see happening. Um, now, somebody objected one time when I gave this list, and he said, well, you've left out a few things. Uh, and let me just say there are certain characteristics of God that he does not want us to have. For example, what does God say about vengeance? Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I'll, I'll repay. And one of the things about Psalm 139, that, those last little verses before the end, that's what they call an imprecatory psalm. The, the, it's a prayer to God to deal with the enemies. Okay? Here's my enemy, here's me, um, but my prayer is to God that he will deal. V vengeance is his. Okay? God is a jealous God, okay? But we don't have a commandment to be jealous. We have a commandment to be zealous. But what, what's the fundamental good thing about God's jealousy? God is jealous of anything that would come between us and him. Okay? He doesn't want anything in there between us. And that's, he's jealously desirous of our fellowship with him and he doesn't want anything in between. So th those are a couple of examples of, um, of things that you know I didn't put on the list and I hope you kind of get that point that there are characteristics of God that are, are his alone 
you know, he's omniscient. We don't, we don't know everything. Uh, and the older I get, the less I know. So I hope that, uh, that these things will inform your life uh, and, and enrich you in many, in many ways. I think there's many, uh, many good things that we can uh, take out of this. Uh, we can think about these things. We can dwell on them in our minds. We can do them. Uh, we can do them for the benefits that they have now in our lives, not just um, for the far away, but at home, in our workplaces, on the farm, in the shops, wherever. Um, by the way, I was going to say, when I was a kid out there on the farm, Carm coming to Carmen was a big deal, you know, going swimming, go to the store. Um, so wherever you are, you can, you can apply, apply these things. Another thing that you, I hope you start to see inklings of with Peter here uh, and John is that this can transform your vision of the Old Testament. You know, why is the New Testament saturated with hundreds and hundreds of quotations and allusions uh, and fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Because uh, what Paul said to Timothy was that you, however, continue in the things you've learned and become convinced of them, knowing from whom you have learned them from childhood, you've known the sacred scriptures. What are those? That's the Old Testament. We see here Peter applying a commandment from Leviticus. And Jesus said the whole, and Paul said that they both said this, the whole law is summed up in one simple thing, five words, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? Where's that from? That's from Leviticus. So those are some of the things I think that we can uh, take home um, and, uh, and apply in our lives every day. Finally, he says that the, uh, the one who obeys his commands is the one who loves him. That's how we show our love for God. And he says this interesting thing that his commandments aren't burdensome. Okay? That's really counterintuitive because, as we've already noted, people don't like commands and they find them burdensome, but John says they're not. So why is that? Well, uh, Jesus said that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. The commandments, when we get this, they're not burdensome because they come from who he is. And as you're transformed into his likeness, uh, it gets easier and easier because they're making us... Um, like him. And our priorities gradually shift to the point uh, where they become his. I mean, his priority become ours, is what I'm trying to say. The other thing is he gives us the power of his spirit, and that's what John said uh, in 1 John uh, 4. Um, we know all of this because of the spirit uh, that dwells in us. Uh, his commandments relieve burdens by their very nature. You know, loving and being at peace and being joyful or, and being kind, being forgiving. Um, one of our brothers who was a policeman out in, uh, in Weyburn, you might know Garth Oberkirsch, and I think he's told me this publicly, so I don't think it's, I'm talking out of school to say it, but he said that he never was with somebody who had committed a crime who didn't immediately feel better by confessing it. You know, hold, like holding it in just um, great to you, but just by confessing it, by, by forgiving, knowing you're forgiven, uh, makes a huge uh, difference and reduces uh, the stress uh, in, our, in our lives. Just want to say as we wrap up, if you haven't found God's commands appealing and so you haven't sought to obey them, I hope that you might have a new vision about God and, and his commands. 
and that he will give you the power uh, to follow and obey through the, the death, the resurrection, and the spirit uh, of God. Um, just to recap here, as, by way of invitation, he said, this, by this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son uh, to be the propitiation of our sins. So the forgiveness that we have is from uh, Jesus' shed blood on the cross. And he, John says that God has accepted this uh, as the payment uh, for our sins. Uh, Peter, in the reading, uh, we fix our hope completely on the grace that he has brought to us at the revelation of his son Jesus Christ and if you read on in that beautiful chapter he says that God has redeemed us by a number of wonderful things by the precious blood of Jesus it's one of the three things in the Bible that God says is precious in his sight uh, by the blood of Jesus uh, and, he, and he proves his power over death by raising him uh, from the dead we're also saved by the living and abiding word of God and as he says in chapter 3 Baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience uh, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So among the commands that God is giving us is to believe, to be faithful, you know, to put our faith in him, uh, to turn our lives uh, away from sin and toward him, uh, to confess his faith, uh, our faith in him, uh, to be immersed for the forgiveness of our sins. And one of the... Uh, the most important thing that we often don't uh, underscore enough is this notion of faithful living. Why? Because God is faithful. And his promise is, if we're faithful unto death, we'll receive the crown of life.